Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's uh, crashing uh, spinoff, A Game of Thrones. Uh, my name is Doug. With me is Brian. Uh, have you seen the uh, crashing? The the one about the, the you made it weird I guy. Kind of detest Pete Holmes. Uh, I I just don't get Pete Holmes. Uh, I. Uh, yeah, I don't want to criticize somebody, a comedian, too much. That I'm on the outside. Just I enjoy comedy in general, but I just don't understand how people think he's funny. I think he kind of falls into that um, NPR. No, like the, there's kind of that NPR model where the person is, isn't actually that funny, but they're not yeah. offensive. They're very yeah. uh, introspective, like Mike Birbiglia. Mike Birbiglia is kind of funny, but. What about Christ. like Chris Hardwick? Like he's somebody who you know would would understand what comedy is, but really doesn't. I don't know. Isn't funny? I, no, I, he he's been. I, I've seen him be very funny on um, on things before he got famous. Like I used to love him when he would show up on early Never Not Funny podcasts. Mm-hmm. He was very funny and said some. He had this thing about a condom that detected the heat of your dick that was absolutely hilarious. I guess you got to take um, your word for it. But uh, yeah, now but now I think he's just in host mode. Um, but the is- thing about the thing about the crashing thing is, it's just his life story. Like he got married out of high school. Like he was some you know, uh, you know, naive child, and he got you know he he got married. His wife wasn't into him being a comedy juggernaut. <laughs> Yeah. And he, I guess, got divorced early and moved to the big city to try to make it. And then they turn his life story into um, a TV show that doesn't relate to anybody out there. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I've never found him that funny. Uh, but I, I don't begrudge people who do. So, I do. hey, you know what we shouldn't do is uh, non-comedians uh, harassing comedians. I guess so. so. If he finds out about What's it, up? we are fucked. But no, uh, uh, this, I step wanna- one. <laughs> Yes, I did delete bring- all of this. Step two, start talking about the fucking TV show. Uh, well, here's the thing. It's adjacent to the TV show. So uh, I put it out there on the Facebook page, which we have, like, I think three followers. So thank you, guys, Sam, Sam Shu. That seems Shue. high. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the HBO's thinking already has four Game of Thrones spinoff TV shows in development. Four of them. Like, I don't know yeah. that not all of those are going to go to production, but they're definitely going to launch one, I would say, maybe, like, Weeks or a couple months after, uh, six months after season seven finishes, I'd imagine, to try to strike while the iron's hot. And, you know, how good could these, number one, how good could they be? Uh, HBO's track record for other shows has been pretty shitty lately. Uh, I can't think of another HBO show that I'm, any other new shows that I'm into. Um, So I I doubt that it could be good. Uh, Plus, it could be a couple things. It could be Robert's Rebellion. Could be good, but you're gonna have to recast people like a young Tywin and you know young Ned Stark, all that shit. Um, you got uh, the Duncan Egg series, which takes place like approximately a hundred years before uh, Game of Thrones, uh, and I don't know what the other two could possibly be. You're you're an idiot. I mean this you, this is exactly what you should want. Um, I mean even if it's kind of shitty. It still will be fun. I mean, it'll still be like people just smashing each other with swords. I don't know why you would be against this at all. Uh, the only frustration that I have with it is that it might lead to George R. R. Martin not finishing the books, but 
I mean, I'm excited for it. I mean, why why wouldn't you be excited? Even why would you be excited for this? Well, no, because it'd be all fan fiction. So yeah, you're you're right. You're right. So it'd either be two things. It'd be fan fiction, which as long as it's not D and D, and somebody else gets a crack at it, maybe it'd be good. Kind of like Rogue One. Rogue One, I consider it. It's in canon, I guess, quote unquote. But it's kind of like uh, fan fiction made into a big movie, and that's great. But when D and D have done their own fucking storylines, they've shit the bed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I guess, but I mean, if it's directed by George R. R. Martin, or that's it's, the uh, problem, based, and then that's the other problem. Pri- but it's or, or it's based primarily on the things that he's already created. For instance, the Tower of the uh, whatever the hell that we uh, what was that thing called? The Tower the of Necronomicon. Uh, huh? <laughs> Tower of Dicks. No, just no. The uh, Robert's Rebellion, the end of Robert's Rebellion, where um, where Ned goes and and tries to find oh, his the sister Tower of Joy. Yeah, Tower of Joy. Yeah, like the the whole Roberts Rebellion thing could be good because I think that there's a, at least enough of an outline that they can't veer too far off script, and they just have to fill in the details. Which I think there are times that's kind of what they're good at is filling in details in the larger outline if they are making up things out of whole cloth. No, I guess it would be whole cloth would be partial cloth, but you know what I mean. I never thought you'd be the optimist in any discussion we've ever had, but uh, I guess I've seen today. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think they have a poor perspective on our, our outlooks. So, uh, no, I think it's a good deal. I, I'm excited about it, and I, it's a way beyond we're going to get more than the 15 or whatever episodes of Games of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Uh, it's hard on. Promised, so, yeah. Uh, I hate to make another illusion. I'll say, uh, yeah. Um, I, I, that's my big worry is that George R. R. Martin gets involved. He's... <laughs> He's uh, what are they calling uh, not editing, but he's like overseeing all these compile compilation yeah. books. Uh, it's frustrating. Just write the books, you yeah. fat bastard. I mean, yeah. even if it's not good, just end it. Just what you already, you know, your your legacy's safe. Even if you crap the bed the last two, just get them out there. Um, uh, but, yeah, because you've already crapped the last crap the bed the last two, and <laughs> people still love these things and right. love the. Yeah, so yeah, just finish the thing. Just finish it. Just put just, yeah. just and then that that's it. Just end it with like yeah. a fade to black. All right. Uh so let's get into this episode. This is um episode three of season five, titled High Sparrow. Um initial impressions. Suck. Yeah, it's kind of a snooze fest. Yeah. Uh, but it's laying groundwork for plot lines again that I don't care about. More of I think what we had last week. I agree. I did like um, <clears throat> the one element I did like was the power struggle between uh, Cersei and Marge. Um, but yeah, just a lot of I don't know. I just don't really care. Uh, a lot of snoozes. So let's let's just get into it and we'll work through it and figure out how we feel at the end of it after we talked it out. Okay, so uh, we start the show with um, the House of Black and White. We see the interior. There's a bunch of god statues surrounding a small pool of black water. Um, the hazing of Arya that goes on for two seasons has just begun, and she's relegated to sweeping the floor. Jacken comes in and helps the guy drink from the pool of water, and he goes off to die next to his favorite god. Uh, Arya complains that she's doing Charlie work, um, and (laughs) Jaken says basically all men must serve, especially faceless men. Um, Arya asks why the statue, um, which god is the many-faced god? Which one's which? And she's like... It, it, how many you know which god is he and she he replies there's only one god and you know his name i guess it's either um heisenberg or it's death and um 
Shortly after this, um, Jake and Leaves and the Homely Girl, which, uh, what's her name? In the, the Waif. The Waif? Right? Yeah, that's yeah. what they refer to her as. Um, she comes in, takes the body away. Ari asks, what the fuck are you doing with that body? And she just straight up ignores her. So, uh, a couple things about this scene. Um, in the book, Ari is the one that kills the guy, and she does it like an idiot. She's just walking around inside, so nobody greets her at the front door. She's led into the house of black and white. She just wanders in, and some guy is just sitting next to the um, the pool, contemplating life, and he has an empty cup, and she's like, oh, let me get you some water. <laughs> she fucking gets him <laughs> poison, and he drinks it, and he dies. Uh, so, you know, she unwittingly helps the guy die. Uh, which I think is an um, I don't know, just disturbing and a lot more interesting than watching Jake and do it. Um, yeah. And uh, another thing is the waif uh, in the book is a stunted uh, adult that's trapped in the child's body, and I guess I understand why they might not want to do that in the show. But I really don't. Holy like- shit! Imagine if the waif was played by an Oompa Loompa. That'd be <laughs> fucking awesome. Uh, or just like the girl we will help you kill you that's terrible that needs some more that's that's the first draft but I can can see the house of black and white kind of being like Charlie in the chocolate factory where people they just take people on tours and they fuck up and end up in the you know the skinning machine yeah Uh, yeah, this was where um, I recall the House of Black and White stuff starting to become frustrating because it's obtuse for obtuse's sake. Yeah. I mean, it just yep. and they're trying to make this mysterious, but it's not. The mystery ends up being so terrible, and also they just draw it out so long. Well, blah, 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 blah. We've gone yeah. through this over and over. Uh, also concerned that this is just a place where people show up to commit suicide. Uh, you would think the local authorities would eventually shut it down, um, but uh, I guess not. Uh, the only thing I can think of is the uh, the House of Black and White is incredibly wealthy for a couple reasons. People that get commit suicide like donate to them and give them all their worldly possessions. And number two, when they the faceless men go out and kill people on assassination runs, they notoriously ask for uh, a shitload of money. So yeah, they have some religious and I it's it's so unclear. You're right. It's just mystery for mystery's sake. Um, and it's just frustrating because you're like, oh, yeah, uh, Arya's going to go train to become a badass assassin. There's no way this is going to be boring um, <laughs> or last for two fucking seasons. Yeah, it was so. the opposite of that. So, yeah. So we've gone over that, though. Yep. Uh, oh, well, trod so. territory. Yep. Yeah. All right. So next uh, we're back in King's Landing in uh, Cersei is being. Uh, let's do the commoners in a box. Uh, I was very concerned that we might see an IED, but uh, it transitions to Tommen and Marge, and they're being married with obvious disgust on Cersei's face, despite her trying to put her best foot forward. And then we go to Tommen and Marjorie uh, after rocking the sheets. Now, I'll spare the details, but apparently Tommen wants to keep rocking the sheets, and Marge then begins manip- manipulating Tommen to convince him uh, essentially to send Cersei away. Uh, I'd like this scene a lot because, uh, I, th- I mean, it's great that uh, you see Marge uh, manipulating people. We've talked about this several times, how great she is at it. And you just see it uh, on the page in this scene very well. It's kind of weird um, that uh, we've talked about this several times again. I mean, we're, at this point, we're 50-something into it, so we keep repeating ourselves. I think in the books, he's like seven, eight, or nine years yeah, old. Yeah, he's really I think young. 
Loris said in season of one that he was only eight years old, but they aged him up really, really, uh, really fast, uh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, it's better for the screen though. I mean, significantly better. So. I, yeah. I, I wrote down, I, I like hearing a little bit about what Tom and thinks about him replacing his brother in his death. Yeah. But they really didn't explore it. He's just like, I don't feel anything at all. No big deal. I'm screwing yeah. my brother's wife. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, that's probably true, though, because I'm sure there wasn't a connection between Tom and Joffrey. Or at least there wasn't anything that we know of. And, I mean, I did like the scene. I thought it was a good scene for Marge because the interesting thing about her is her ability to read the room and manipulate people. And, uh, I mean, she's changed her tack to work for Tom and and it appears to be working uh, on Tommen, as we see in a later scene, he, when think, he tries to convince Cersei to go away. Yeah, and and that's my my problem with this scene is it just goes on too long. Here's how I would have yeah, made it better. That's fair. That's uh, fair. She would have they would have just been talking, you know, about whatever. And you're a big man, being king, you can do whatever you want. When's your mom going back to Castle Rock? And then they could just cut to the next scene. Like all you you just needed the hint that she was gonna manipulate him i didn't have to see her rehash all these things she just talked for i don't know a few minutes and it's just like okay she's she's trying to manipulate tom and i got it um and the way she did it wasn't like overly clever or i don't know i didn't find it that entertaining so i would just say i like this scene i just wish it was shorter yes i agree i mean i thought it was clever because she's using uh his sense of uh, male identity against him, you know, mm-hmm. he wants to be a strong, independent man. Um, you know, so I mean, I did think it was pretty clever on her part. Yeah. Uh, but I do agree it went on a little bit long. So yep. what's next, bud? Okay. So we go immediately to the next scene, uh, which I feel, uh, I, yeah, a little rough. Um, Tom is walking with his mom, and he not so subtly brings up the fact that when is she going to head back to Castle of the Rock? And she's like, uh, there's nothing for me there. I'm going to be here forever. And he's like, uh, you know, you better go. I don't, you know, I don't need to hear blah, blah, blah. And Cersei is immediately suspicious and know exactly where this, uh, this thought process is coming from or who it's coming from. Uh, she, we cut to a room where large Marge and her friends are talking about, uh, the statch rape that, uh, Marjorie <laughs> performed the night before. Um, and Cersei busts in and, Marjorie immediately starts insulting her by saying, oh, would you like some wine? We don't have any right now because we don't drink this early in the day or some shit. So calling her alcoholic. <laughs> Roast Just roast Roasting it. the shit out of her. <laughs> yeah. And then Cersei comes in. Cersei plays the nice guy and says, well, Tommen's really smitten with you. Um, and if there's anything I can do for you, just let me know. She's like, oh, that's so thoughtful of you. Um, and before uh, you know it goes any further, Marge responds with yet another insult by remarking of how exhausted she is about uh, taking a boning from her son, uh, trying to make her uncomfortable. Uh, and then Cersei takes that uh, and all that abuse, and she is about to leave, but Marge just can't fucking stop herself. Uh, so she stops Cersei before she leaves and says, hey, what am I supposed to call you now since you have basically no real official power in any uh, like official royal capacity? Uh, and Marge keeps running off the mouth before Cersei finally cuts her off. Uh, but instead of an overt threat, she just simply repeats, remember, anything you need, and then leaves. Uh, and as Cersei leaves, uh, she her head rings with the laughter of the uh, girls that were in the room. Uh, and obviously, it doesn't bode well. I mean, Cersei's pissed. Yeah, so I wondered, what was the point of Cersei going to see... March. Yeah, what was the plan? She did. She didn't seem like she had a plan. Yeah, normally she has plans. Yeah, so this is weird. Dumb. 
Um, I've read that uh, that the point of the scene was that Marge is finally striking back at Cersei. Cersei's been antagonizing for all this time. Now that Marge is married to Tommen, she has the power. So this is a way of her getting back at Cersei by exerting her power, at least displaying it. Which also seems silly because it seems petty. I mean, yeah. It, well, it does seem petty. It also seems very uh, short-sighted. Almost. I mean, I guess if she's uh, using Cersei's tactic against Cersei, Cersei's been incredibly short-sighted. But it also seems short-sighted because, I mean, Cersei still has power. She's yeah. still a Lannister, and like, so it seems silly. Um, the other thing that I read online is that uh, that supposedly Marge is purposely dressing in the same manner as Cersei as a way to replace her, or at least show that she's replacing her. And it, I, I didn't really believe that, and then I went back and looked, and it looked like Marge had the same kind of, uh, you know, Cersei wears the very form-fitting outfits along with giant sleeves a lot of the times and kind of matronly thing. It, it looked like Marge did have kind of the same outfit except with the uh, the trademark uh, Marge uh, Cleavage. You know, uh, we have a friend uh, who plays Overwatch with us that uh, says the loot boxes that we get excited for are just a, basically a form of dress-up, and he gets mad at us. He would really have a problem with this conversation that you're having right now um, about the costumery of the... I haven't noticed, is what I'm saying. Oh, so it's uh, this isn't dudes playing video games that <laughs> just cuts their Kirk? Uh, yeah, uh, getting no, excited I, no I thought that that detail was interesting. I didn't notice it. I didn't notice I it either. Maybe subconsciously that, uh, it worked. I don't know. Yeah, I read online that that was what was going on, and then I went back and looked, and, and it actually was the case. It wasn't a well, that'd be good. Man I mean, that, video game character. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, well, so no, that's good. But uh, yeah, I like you didn't notice, so maybe it yeah. worked on a on a, a deeper level. I just want to say that I don't I, I don't like this because it just. It doesn't. I don't feel bad for Cersei in this situation. I just like Marge less for being so petty and basically being a bully in front of her friends. She's just playing it up. Not only is she giving it back to Cersei, but the fact that she has an audience of her friends makes it seem yeah. like she's doing it not to get back at Cersei necessarily, but to like just be a fucking bully. And uh, we all know what happens to bullies. They get their comeuppance by getting blown the fuck up. Well, it's also without the context of why Cersei is there. Uh, this scene right. is kind of kind of scuffles to, for me because, I mean, if Cersei went there to talk shit, then it's great Marge got back at her. If, if Cersei went there to yeah. kind of make peace, then that that it, that raises some additional questions because they're still at odds whether that was meant to be actually. You know, there's a lot of different ways to take the scene, but I think it all comes down to. What was Cersei's intention, which we don't have any idea as they to what it is. They didn't think it through. She just showed up slack-jawed no. going, oh, I'm going to have some words. And then she, like, it would have been nice if she would have gotten outsmarted or uh, yeah. lost this verbal uh, back and forth. But she didn't even fight. She she had no ammo in, yeah. the, uh, in the whatever. I mean, I think the assumption would be that she was going to try to sass Marge based on the prior, the last conversation, the prior scene. But it's not there on the screen, so whatever. So, anyways... All right. Next, yeah. So next we go to Moat Caitlin, and it looks like uh, the Boltons are Moat Caitlin. I'm sorry, I was thinking of uh, Miss Jenner. Uh, it looks like the Boltons are whipping it back into shape. Uh, we see Theon crossing the crossing the yard with a number of chickens when he sees some flayed people. Fucking super gross. Uh, transitions to a discussion between uh, Ramsay and Roos, and Ramsay is eating a giant plate of meat which apparently is supposedly to symbolize 
that uh, Ramsey doesn't think about the future where the North might be running out of food. He's willing to just eat giant plates of meat while everybody else is starving. And I guess it's a parallel to a scene in the books where he Ramsey's uh, traipsing across the countryside and uh, encounters some farmer. The farmer says, I don't have any food left, or if I slaughter the rest of my animals, I won't have animals for next year. And Ramsey forces the guy to slaughter the rest of his animals. Anyways, um, apparently uh, Ramsey tells a story about how he went to collect from someone uh, taxes but was not successful until after flaying three-quarters of the family. Bruce tells Ramsey to stop eating. He's got big news. Uh, Bruce explains how he has big issues with holding in the north uh, as is because his bargains that led him into the power were with Tywin, who obviously is dead, and the Lannisters will never send uh, any troops north, and he doesn't have the troops enough to hold the north. So he explains to Ramsey that the best way to accumulate power is not to scare people into following them, but to forge alliances through marriage. Yeah, I like how Ramsey's not, and this is the way it comes off in the books, he's not against the torture and the terror. He just thinks that there needs to be, he's just like, that should just be one of the arrows in your quiver. Uh, you have to use other tactics. Yeah. Which is almost, which is, uh, you know, Roos is so cold in the book, um, and it, it comes off here a little bit. But, you know, he just has, he doesn't care that his son's killing people. He's just looking at it in a pragmatic way. Um, right. Which I like. I like how that, that comes off here. Um, but, yeah, when you started talking about um, uh, Ramsey eating all that meat and his son and his dad's like, stop eating. I've got important news. It reminded me of, I think we could do this whole um, Game of Thrones uh, Willy Wonka thing. And, you know, Ramsey, sweetheart, save some room for later. And I think... <laughs> We, we could we could cast I don't know Ollie as Mike TV, um, I don't know I like the idea of playing like ten little Indians in the House of Black and White with these characters. Anyway, that's a ridiculous tangent. Uh, but um, they did say uh, Lord Serwin. Uh, now, do you know Lord Serwin is and its coat his coat of arms? No, I, uh, I I do actually on the wiki it said that Lord Serwin and his wife were killed in this episode, and I had no clue who the hell they were. I, I know the Serwins are one of the various, you know, m- multitudes oh, of yes, smaller yes, yes, yes. lords. The Serwins were the ones that Ramsey went and killed. He yeah. killed the wife, the husband, and then another kid, I think. And then yeah. only one son remained, and that was the son who, who paid the taxes. What an idiot. You never pay your taxes. No, or, or get flayed alive. Jesus. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't know if the Serwins... Have any importance in the books? They probably do. I don't. I just don't remember. I don't recall them at all. Okay, so moving on. Uh, Sansa and Littlefinger arrive at Moat Kaelin, and Sansa finally figures out where the fuck they're going. Uh, And she's like, "Wait a minute! The marriage proposal wasn't for you. It's for me." Oh no! And will when she finds out it's Littlefinger, uh, she freaks the fuck out for some reason. I don't know. Um, uh, So they're going to Winterfell and. She is against it, obviously, because these people, you know, killed their family. Um, but like any good pimp, uh, Littlefinger turns her and basically gives her all sorts of reassurances that everything's going to be okay, appeals to her pride, and then finally evokes her family, um, you know, and fi- she agrees to it silently, but she's like, okay, fine, I'll do this, which is just ridiculous. This is all show invention bullshit so far, anyway. 
who knows? I mean, Sansa might end up married to Ramsay. It's just not at all happening in the uh, in the book. Anyway, she agrees to it. The party heads forward uh, through the gateway of the north, uh, which is Moat Kalen. Um, above it all, uh, Brienne and Pod watch. Brienne says they have to go around. Pod says it'll cost them a lot of time, and she's like, no big deal. I know where they're going. Uh, so she knows that they're going to Winterfell. Um, and then the scene ends right there. Uh, yes, yes. So, so <laughs> now I'll just say, well, no, because the next scene kind of ties into that pretty quickly, so it's kind of threw me off there. Um, but yeah, uh, it was interesting. Littlefinger just, I, I mean, Sansa just kind of folded pretty quickly. But yeah, it's ridiculous. I think that that's it, that Littlefinger is relying on the fact that she doesn't have any options. I mean, what what's her other options? So, uh, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. But it just once again, she's. Uh, I, they they are trying to make this a move a part of her story arc of her getting more uh, in control going from pawn to player uh, but that all yeah. comes crashing down obviously let me ask you this I, I was wondering this if it wasn't Ramsey if it was like a nice Bolton who was good to her is this still a good decision or isn't this still like a bridge too far uh, like is shouldn't she be principled at all I mean or at least so depressed she's willing to kill herself. I don't understand. Like, um... well, you know, I qu- I question Littlefinger's motivations. Uh, I get that what he's doing is to uh, partner up with and bring Roose Bolton into the fold, but I don't think he knows that Ramsay's a maniac. No, and I he, think he might even admits that later. Yeah, and so I think that he actually thinks that he might be doing the right thing by Sansa, but. Um, even though it turns out to be completely different other other way, and uh, I mean, if he is right to some extent that if she doesn't do something to assert her position and and create some amount of prestige and get kind of backing behind her, such as by marrying uh, the warden of the North Sun, then she will be running her entire life. So, I I mean, as manipulative as he is in the scene, I do think that he might actually have her best interests at heart and have thought this was going to be a good idea. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of torn on, on, on little finger in this episode. I I agree. I I think that, you know, he's trying to consolidate power. I think just like uh, Braun and his scheme to get rid of Lady Stokeworth's family to make sure that he inherited, I'm pretty sure that, you know, little fingers grand plan is to have, you know, uh, something happened to Ramsey, him get out of the picture, him unite the veil with Sweet Robin and Sansa, them get together, and then he's in control of almost half the continent. Um, I don't even know if he thinks he wants something to happen to Ramsey. I, I, I think if he marries off the Stark girl to the Boltons, what does he get out of it? Well, he, he gets control over them. I mean, he, How? They, they are indebted to him, I think. How? Because he arranged this thing. Yeah, but it uh, there was no discussion. Even later, there's no discussion like, okay, here's your 20 pieces of silver or whatever. Um, you know, there's no discussion besides like a rocky alliance um, against the Lannisters. And that the Lannisters are even downplayed later in the, um, uh, in the episode. I don't know. It just doesn't seem clear what the quid pro quo is yeah. in this arrangement. I guess I just thought of like a general type alliance. I didn't really think about it too hard. So, yeah, I know what you mean. I understand. Okay. So, 
Yeah. So moving on, uh, we uh, we see like you just mentioned, Pod and Brienne overlooking Moat Kalen. She knows where they're going. Pod and Brienne decide to camp out for the night. Uh, Pod explains how he became a squire. Who really gives a shit? Yeah. Brienne um, then starts to feel sorry for herself, and Pod interjects to say that he's happy to be her squire. That picks up her spirits, turns her frown upside down, <laughs> and she offers to train him. <laughs> Uh, Pa then begins uh, showing he's no longer a complete room in camp. He's able to start a fire right away. They keep chatting. Brienne tells the story of how she served Renly. She went to a ball and everyone made fun of her. And she, after she realized that Renly stepped in to save the day, she laments that she couldn't save him, but then also vows uh, revenge upon Stannis. Um, yeah, boring. They, I wrote, they have no idea what the fuck they're doing with these two characters. Yeah. Nothing. Just kind of checking in with them. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, the one thing that was kind of an interesting takeaway is in prior episodes, um, Brienne had not admitted that uh, Renly was uh, was gay. And, and this one, oh. I mean, I think it's clear that she admits that, yeah, he's absolutely gay. Yeah, but it's which, bullshit because here it seems like she's like not cares. in love with it. She's like, oh, I just owe him one. Yeah, I know he's into yeah. dudes, but he made me feel worthy of being a human being. I'm like, that's not good enough. You know, like that, you know, being indebted to somebody, like, is different from being devoted. Like, she is no qualms, no doubt about it in the book, fucking in love with Renly. Yeah. Um, you know, she fantasizes about him. It's, it's, uh, uh, it's just crazy. And I, I just, I don't know what they're doing with these characters. Now, the Brienne, the beauty. Uh, story was taken from the books. I can't remember who she tells it to. I don't know if it's Jamie or somebody else, or Catelyn probably uh, when she was still alive. But um, it's you know heartbreaking, I guess. But it's just laughable that this actress is saying, you know, that's when I knew I was the ugliest woman alive or girl alive. I'm like, shut up. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I've yeah. drove past like a hundred girls. Uh, <laughs> not, a, I mean, I'm saying, uh, what is her name? Gwendolyn Stacy. Uh, I, I think it's of Tarth. No. Anyway, she's tall, but like, that's about it. Like, she's not ugly. Um, and, and Brienne is definitely ugly. Like, she's, I guess, Hollywood ugly. Um, so I just find that, um, it's just funny when people say yeah, stuff like that. I mean, that. like, the, the way that the, the character is portrayed in the books, like, she's strikingly ugly. Yeah. Like, it's a person you look at and go, oh, shit, this is just a lady. I mean, it's just a tall lady. <laughs> it's just a tall lady. I mean, I think she's average looks. I would, you know, just a tall lady. You yeah, know? but she's not the ugliest woman in the world, or I don't no, know. No, and by no means strikingly ugly. But yeah, another thing I didn't like about this is now Brienne has two missions. Well, which one is it? Is she going to protect Sansa Stark or is she going to uh, kill Stannis? She's oh, yeah, like, yeah. I, the yeah. fact that she's like, like, I have these two missions. What? Uh, you gotta, yeah, you're, you're only are, actively uh, pursuing one. Like, you know, if you get to kill Stannis, great. But to say like, you know, I can't wait to kill Stannis, I just feel is a little dumb as well. Setting that up, kind of very uh, telegraphing what's happening uh, or what's going to happen later. I hate it. Yeah, no question. So, all right, what's next? Oh, Jesus. Ugh. Okay, so Stannis goes to see John, the new Lord Commander. Fancy pants. Anyway, John um, uh, made that piece of shit Ollie a squire. Uh, Stannis offers him Winterfell again. John refuses again. And I'm asking myself, didn't we just watch this, I don't know, an episode or two back? 
uh, whatever. Uh, after the refusal, John asks, uh, hey, when the fuck are you guys leaving? <laughs> You're eating me out of house and home. Stannis says they're going to leave and march on Winterfell before the first snowfall. They don't want to get trapped um, at the wall. Uh, and he's about to leave, but he recommends John um, try to treat with Tormund to get rid of their wildling problem. Um, now that Mace is dead, maybe Tormund's uh, more open to negotiations. Uh, Stannis then also tells him to get the fuck away from Thorn, send him away, yeah, which sounds like a good idea. But John says, hey, you should keep your enemies close. And Stannis is like, that's dumb. Uh, and then after Stannis leaves, Coach, da- Coach Davos comes in and tries to give John a pep talk. Uh, says John can do more good protecting the people of the realm as leader in Winterfell as opposed to just sitting up at the wall, hanging out, doing nothing. Uh, of course, John isn't into it. And uh, I guess that's the way it ends. Yeah, I don't have much to say about this. Um, I, in fact, I don't really have anything to say about it. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. The one thing I have to say is I think they're obviously trying to draw parallels between John and Danny. They're both l- ruling, as it were. I mean, John is the Lord Commander, so he's in charge of the Night's yeah. Watch. Danny, you know, the I guess the Fire to the Ice is over in Marine trying to rule, and they're both fucking it up. Um, you know, John obviously gets killed for his fuck up. Um, not, nothing so horrible happens to Danny, but, um, you know, they're both in position of power, and yeah, they're fucking up. And I think that's all I have to say about this situation. Obviously, he's making Ollie his squire. Bad move. <laughs> Knowing what we know. Oh, now. big time. Not sending yeah. Alistair Thorne away. Terrible move. Another guy who stabs you. Uh, just just bad moves all around. Yeah, I guess so. With hindsight, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. once again, yeah. it's not that interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So next we go, speaking of not that interesting, we go back to the House of Black and White, and the waif enter, enters Arya's room and asks who Arya is, questions how she got the valuable coin without earning it, and doesn't respect it. They play the game of faces, which apparently involves the waif slapping her and uh, Arya saying, stop it. Uh, just as Arya becomes upset and goes to get her sword when Jockin enters, uh, Jockin uh, kind of asks what's going on. Arya says she's ready to be no one, but Jockin spots the sword. He points out that, that uh, no one, quote unquote, is surrounded by Arya's things. So this prompts Arya to change into a burlap sack and throw all of her possessions into the river other than her, um, which by the way, complete litter bug. I mean, that's just pollution one-on-one. Yeah. It's terrible. Uh, yeah. Don't other than the exception of, yeah. Other than needle, which she hides in a nearby pack of rocks, which symbolism, I guess what like the rocks are, um, the the sword is a you know phallus. What this symbolism. She's willing to give up most of her identity, but not her entire identity. Yeah, I mean, of course. Uh, but uh, didn't she throw um, in the previous episode or previous two episodes ago? Didn't she throw her coin in the water and Jake can give it right back? Yeah, so I mean throwing things in that again, river isn't <laughs> doesn't mean. I assume anything. people are just like pooping in the river, and you know this is probably a dirty river. But um, definitely that's yeah. a poop. This is so heavy-handed, but anyways. Yeah, it uh, definitely we, is, but like this whole thing between the waif and her is just it's just tedious. It's like uh yeah. it is like trying to make it like I guess Harry Potter, 
uh, like it's a magical school and the, you know, you're the new girl in town and the, you know, the cool girl because there's only one other girl <laughs> there uh, is giving you shit. Like it's it's a high school drama. Like I, I just, I hate it. I fucking yeah. <laughs> can't stand it. Um, yeah, I read online people compare it to Mean Girls. I've never seen Mean Girls or Harry Potter, so. It's uh, basically the same movie. You don't have to. Yeah. Uh, just watch Mean Girls, just one. There's seven Harry Potters or eight. Uh, movies, I guess. Oh, there we go. Okay. All right. So then we see Arya sweeping up uh, when Jack went in the House of Black and White when Jack and arrives to lead her to the basement where the waif awaits. Um, Jack and exits, and then the waif and Arya begin undressing a corpse. And this was a lot less erotic than I thought it would be. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's two uh, girls on one guy, right? Yeah, and two girls on corpse. Um, <laughs> So then they, uh, Chuck, I'm sorry, this is terrible. Arya and the Wave begin wiping down the corpse for uh, who the fuck knows what reason. Arya asks what they're going going to do with the corpse after they clean it, but she does not receive a response, and then the scene kind of ends. Yeah, is this supposed to be titillating or intriguing? I I don't think it's supposed to be titillating. I think it's supposed to be intriguing, and I guess it's supposed to be... um, this is how they they prepare the corpses that they can use the faces as the faceless men. But I don't think that message ever really comes through in the show at all. No, no. I mean, in the book, it is clear that they that the people who commit suicide basically donate their faces to the faceless men so that the faceless men can morph into any of these faces that they need to. But the show really doesn't uh, get that across at all, uh, at all. Yeah, in the book, um, uh, Arya just knows that she's supposed to strip them down and take all their money. Like, you know, she's uh, uh, collecting their worldly goods or whatever they have on them is like what she does as a, I guess, a newbie. Um, and she doesn't really question it too much. She knows it's mysterious. They take the bodies down to a further cellar. Like, there's a series of, like, lower levels. Um, but she doesn't know what the hell's going on. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't want to say it again, so... <laughs> I'm just not interested in, in the storyline. No. Okay, so Sansa and Creepfinger arrive at Winterfell. Uh, they're greeted by Roose, Ramsey, and Fat Walda. Uh, everybody is, there's a little bit of tension, but Ram, uh, Ramsey and Sansa are both the most cordial people in the world. Uh, while Miranda, uh, Ramsey's crazy side piece, uh, gives Sansa the old stink eye. Sansa escorted to her chambers, which is her old bedroom, I guess, with the poster still on the wall. Uh, and the woman who escorts her there tells her that don't worry, the North still remembers, uh, giving her some hope in this presumably uh, not good situation that she's voluntarily going into. Yeah, I don't have much to say about this. I mean, this factors obviously in later in season six um, after all the torture. Uh, but gosh, if these people still remember, there's still like an act of a rebellion. Once they find out how bad Ramsey is, I don't know. Somebody doesn't just fucking murder him and suffer the consequences. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't just know. suicide mission, uh, you would think. But Yeah, what? because this world is so brutal. I mean, it's one thing if you're like like living in America in 2017 uh, and you've got this awful president. or Just theoretically, you have an awful president. <laughs> yeah, I'll use my imagination. Terrible. I mean, you can suffer through it. But back then, I mean, the... Um, yeah, the, you still the, got Netflix, Amazon... McDonald's, yeah. all that shit. Back, 
back then though, like life would be so miserable. You're working every minute of your life for like a tyrant. Why not just run at him with a knife? You yeah, know? fuck it. And, you know, if yeah. you don't, <laughs> yeah, you get skin alive. That's worth it. Maybe that'll be exciting. That'll be an exciting Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, it's better than working all the time. So yeah, who wants yeah, to work? Yeah. That's why I so next unemployment. Week, exactly. Entitlements, please. Uh, next, we go back to Castle Black, and John is providing, uh, presiding over his first meeting as the Lord Commander. It's time to hand out jobs, and he uh, – <laughs> uh, apparently the first job that needs to be done is they, they need to dig a new latrine, and he appoints a redheaded feller. Uh, I guess they refer to them as gingers and kind of have them as Yeah, outcasts. but after a lot of tension with him staring down Alistair Thorne, Oh, uh, you know what? I didn't even really notice that. Yeah, he's um, he's looking at him the yeah. entire time, and Thorne looks like a fucker. He's gonna humiliate me. But John, unlike Large Marge, isn't a fucking gloating bully cunt. So no, no, he's not. Yeah, he's actually smart. Yep. And he probably builds up this tension, theoretically at least, in order to when he turns next to Alistair Thorne and praises his uh, service to the Night's Watch and makes him the first Ranger. This is a big deal, and Thorne seems very pleased. You know, but it's it's. Yeah. Uh, I'll stop you there because it, it's. I enjoyed this a lot, and I don't think this is uh, this is played out in the books. I think he does send Alistair Thorne away, and Alistair Thorne isn't one of the guys that kills him. Um, but uh, it, I like this because he's basically saying I could fuck with you, but you know what? I'm going to be the better person, and not only am I not fuck with you, I'm going to promote you. Uh, I think that is yeah, and terrific. as part of that promotion, recognize the importance. Of Thorn to the uh, the Night's Watch. Or his, I mean, it, yeah, his this, value. He's just like this is the best tactic that he could have possibly taken. I, I, I agree. So he's showing yeah. Thorn not only that he he has the power to fuck with him if he wants to, and he knows that, but obviously he's also showing him. But I do recognize you are of value, and I'm willing to overlook how shitty you were to me for fucking four fucking straight years or whatever it's been. Um, I'm going to be a yeah. better man. I really like that a lot. But I'm sorry to yes. Uh, agree. Agree. So next he turns to Slint and um, he tells Slint that he is supposed to go to Gregor, I think is what it's named. I don't know. One, uh, of, the, which, one of the dormant which, towers on the wall. Yeah, one of the castles in ruins. Um, tells uh, Slint he has to rebuild it. Slint gets uh, real sassy and refuses the assignment. And John says to do it. Slint refuses again and then stands up and insults John. Um, it seems like uh, Thorne is kind of enjoying it, uh, low-key, though. John says to take Slint outside and ask Ollie to bring a sword. At first, it appears that Alistair will step up to protect Slint, but then he just kind of steps out of the way and completely sells Slint He's the first ranger now. He's, he's, yeah, he's just, like, I mean, I'm sorry, Janos, that's a big promotion. Great moment. Um, so Slint is then taken to uh, the stump while uh, – well, muttering about his friends in the capital, which I think is a line he's repeated from prior episodes. John dramatically finishes his drink. His drink then goes out to the yard. John asks for Slint's last words, to which Slint apologizes and said he's always been a scaredy cat, begs for mercy, says he's afraid. John ignores and chops while uh, Stannis looks on with approval. So I gotta say, I love this scene a lot more in the books, but I did like that first part with Alistair Thorne. Because the way it plays out in the books, and let me know if you remember this, it's I probably brought this up on the podcast, but it's one of my favorite moments in uh, book five, which is not a great book. Uh, but John's like, are you sure about this? Well, last chance. Okay. All right. Get the, get the rope. So they get the rope. They tie the rope. They're getting the giblet ready. They're going to 
take uh, Janice, and Janice is sleeping. He's like, no, no, don't do it. And John's like, wait a minute, stop. This isn't right at all. I need my sword. <laughs> so you think he's going to like give him a reprieve, and John's going to be the better man. But no, he's saying, he, he came to the conclusion like, no, I'm a Stark. This is how Starks kill people, by beheading them like he saw his dad do with ice uh you know the first time we see any of the starks um yeah. season one episode one and it's so fucking powerful because not only is john gonna get righteous like it, it he's he's gonna get revenge on this guy the one of the guys that conspired to have his dad yes. thrown in jail uh he was definitely if we don't remember who janice lynn is let me refresh you guys memory he was the head of the city watch who uh uh, Ned Stark thought was on his side, but because a little finger paid him to betray um, uh, Ned Stark and took him captive and killed all his men. So Janice Slint was in charge of capturing Ned Stark and framing him to be a traitor. Uh, so this was like revenge, but not only was it revenge, he was justified in doing this because, you know, it, it's part of the law. You know, you disobey a superior officer. Uh, I guess is the penalty. So it's one of these things where he gets his revenge, but it's just great. It's just fucking great. Yeah, I mean, in a vacuum, you would think, uh, why didn't he have more mercy for Slint? Slint essentially, I mean, admitted that he's a coward. The only reason that he's taking these actions is because he's a coward. But at the same time, this is the first time that John has been tested as the new Lord Commander. Yeah. And so if Sean starts showing mercy here, then other people might not obey his commands in the future. So it's very important that he does this, even though I think John, in a vacuum again, would would not want to do this and wouldn't want to show mercy. Um, and that, you know, the, him sitting at the table for a little longer, having to slug his drink to get some liquid courage into him. I mean, I think it shows that he is is definitely conflicted about this. Yeah. but he knows that he has to do he, it. Yeah, he's put himself like yeah. maybe if he. If he would have not said, hey, take him outside and get my sword, if he wouldn't have set him up like that, maybe he yeah. would go back, but he can't go back without appearing weak. So uh, he paid yeah, himself and also, into that corner, I guess. I think it's also a contrast of him, how much he's grown up versus the uh, individual who let Egret go back in the very beginning of the show or when he was first a ranger because I don't think that Jon Snow today, at least, at least the Lord Commander Jon Snow, would not have killed Egret when he had the opportunity up in the north. Um, so I think that's definitely a contrast as well. So, and, and it's also just, I mean, perfectly appropriate that it happens to be Slint, who right. is uh, King Weasel, and again, like you just mentioned, is, was involved in the betrayal of his father. So, great. This is a great scene. I mean, this is one of the ones that elevated this episode. I agree, you know, but it was, even, it, it was just even better in the books. Um yeah. I hate saying that all the time, but it it definitely was. Okay, uh, so now we go to a brothel in King's Landing, and the High Septum is perverting his own religion that he's in charge of by having um, seven whores dressed up like the seven gods, and he gets to choose which ones to have sex with. Anyway, some some thugs break (laughs) in, led by Lancel Lannister, and uh, they say that this guy is an abomination to the religion, uh, they strip him down, or he's already naked, so they push him outside, beat him up a little bit, periodically whip him, uh, basically running him through the streets naked just to shame the shit out of him. 
uh, generally making him into a cuckold, which is, uh, you know, if you guys know the etymology of the word cuck that all these kids are using, that's no, where it comes no. from. Oh. Well, actually, cuckold is, you know, somebody sleeps with your wife, and that's what... So it's not exact, but uh, anyway, the High Septum goes on to complain to the small council, and he surprisingly gets little sympathy, where all these people are pieces of shit. They all have fucking skeletons in a closet. Pycelle's the only one that's like, a man's business is a man's business. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he's he, he understands that uh, he has the same vice, which I liked. Uh, Cersei asks, well, what do you want me to do about it? And he's like, well, you must deal with this guy, their, their leader, the High Sparrow. Um, the leader of this populist movement, and that's where the scene ends. Yeah, I uh, do. We know much about the High Septon. Uh, I, I mean, no. I, I don't even remember really seeing him on, uh, on small council meetings. I, I mean, I, I think we've probably seen him before, but uh, he kind of came out of nowhere, I guess. No, there's uh, in the book. The first, I mean, not out of nowhere, but I mean, he's definitely not yeah. the main character. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, or even a secondary character in the show. Let's keep it to the show. It, were they was the High Septon even mentioned before this episode or season? I I don't recall. I, I mean, I really don't. That's why I asked you. Yeah, I, I don't. Oh, I know in the book, but I, I just I can't keep everything straight. I, yeah, the show. But uh, yeah, it seems like they're introducing uh, religion now, and I think that's religion becomes a bigger part in the book at this time. But it was still. Uh, alluded to a lot more um, before this. Yeah. Uh, but who cares? Well, it's also curious to me that uh, Septons and even uh, Grand Maesters would be celibate in this world. Um, I mean, I guess it's meant to parallel modern, current churches or churches back then, but I mean, well, I don't think we have the rationale behind that. Um, uh, well, it, it is theorized that most of the celibacy that had to do with at least the Christian religion had more to do with oh, this whole no. paternal... No, it's not terrible. Uh, had to do with this whole paternal in- inheritance. So, like, it's kind of like the Night's Watch, not being able to hold lands or have kids is the reason why celibacy was a thing. Not because it was necessarily virtuous, because, you know, it, it, the you know you can't hold lands and make money or and give that money to your children and then maybe... You know, you're the Pope, and you're like, well, my son's going to be the next Pope. I don't know how it works. But, uh, gotcha. Yeah. So I, uh, you pointed out already, but I wanted to reiterate, I love Mace's uh, uh, Picel. Picel's protestations. that Because uh, <laughs> he's doing the exact same thing with the clown. Uh, uh, the other thing that I thought was hilarious about this it was um, Mace's shock that the, the high septon is getting it off. Like, <laughs> like just, just classic... Uh, Classic Mace Tyrell Rube, yeah. Rube shit, but yeah, great. So anyways, um, so next we go to Cersei. She is exiting a litter in a poverty-stricken area to go introduce herself to an old man in rags, and apparently it's the High Septon who scoffs at the name, and it appears that the, the name, the High Sp- I'm sorry, not the High Septon, the High Sparrow, apparently the name the High Sparrow is a term of derision given to him by his aliens. He's feeding some uh, very sickly-looking people, uh, a la the machinist. Um, Cersei asks about his ways. He says that he's given everything away, and he's just living like a garbage person. He asks why she's there. He assumes that she is there to arrest him for crimes against the High Septon. But the uh, Cersei says that actually the High Septon is in the Red Cells, which it's not really explained. We'll come back to that 
But uh, mm. you can see that on both sides, Cersei sees an opportunity for power, as does the High Sparrow. And uh, there's the line about the faith and the crowd are the pillars of society or something on those lines. But I was really curious. So why is the High Septon in the Red Cells other than potentially to entice the High Sparrow into assuming more power, I guess? No clue. In the book, I think the first High Septum, we talked about this, was uh, torn apart by the people in that riot that uh, where Lolly Stokeworth was raped. We talked about that last week. Yeah. His replacement basically got um, outvoted. <laughs> basically, like, the uh, she just goes and, like, the High Sparrow is now the High Septum. There, He's already, like, been elected a leadership position, and I believe he's in the Septa Baylor. So he's already set up in a position of power. He is like mopping the floors or some shit when she meets him, but still. Um, I don't understand why. I wrote, why does she think she can control this new guy where the old guy, he has a vice. That is a vice that you can control. It's like having a sex tape of somebody pissing on, <laughs> on some prostitutes. Like if you have that in your corner, you can just always threaten to expose that and then you can make that person do what you want. Yeah, but the High Septon didn't come up with an Ignition Remix, though. Ignition Remix? That song by R. Kelly that's also... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I was talking about another incident, but that's all right. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, I would think... The only reason I would think that she locked him up is he's done for. Like, that walk through the streets is kind of like spent all his political capital, and now he's going to be... You know, like John, if he would have showed mercy to Janice Slint, he's not going to be an effective leader anymore. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. It's just that, that I, it's kind of like the evil that you know. I mean. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. stick with the evil that you know, for sure. Yeah. So, anyway. So, what's next, bud? Okay, so Kyburn is uh, working in the lab late one night when Cersei comes <laughs> That's too great. Sorry, That's I, great. I had to do it. No, uh, when Cersei comes in to bother him, and he was just, you know, he's exploding <laughs> rats' bodies or whatever he's doing. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that made, that made me think of that Mr. Show sketch. <laughs> oh, the, the, <laughs> the monster songs, are they yeah. real? <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's one of the funniest things ever. And I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Comedy Bang Bang, another podcast that is a rival to us, so don't listen to them. But anyway, on Halloween, they uh, they do a skit where uh, a guy talks like that the whole time. And oh, there's God. And, the, yeah. and then a guy comes in and sings uh, the original version of the Monster Mash called The Monster Fuck. It's quite uh, funny. It's great. Brett, Mr. Brett Gelman, I believe. Yeah, well, yeah. There's <laughs> Brett Gelman and the other guy who does uh, uh, Bill Cosby Bukowski. What's that guy? Oh, called? John Daly. He's is the, hilarious. Also the greatest. Yeah. Anyway, right. uh, both funnier than Pete Holmes. Uh, moving on, starting a, a feud. Um, Infinitely more funny than us. Go yes. ahead. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, she's interrupts him, exploding rats or whatever he's doing, uh, and she wants him to write a letter, uh, a letter of some importance or urgency to Littlefinger um, in the Vale or wherever he's, quote, slithered off to. And I guess as the one literate guy in the castle, he goes off to writing, and we see him writing for... An extended period of time before suddenly uh, a body under the sheet tries to rise and fails, freaks out. Kyburn uh, shushes him and comforts him like a scared dog. And we're led to believe that this is the mountain still being experimented on. Yeah, the mountain aspect of this is really badass. I mean, that, that thing is scary as shit. 
yeah. I don't know that I necessarily knew what was going on when we first time I watched it, but um, and I also I'm still I mean I'm not entirely clear what the letter he's writing to to the Littlefinger is. Do you know? No clue. I I don't know what yeah. Cersei wants of Littlefinger. Maybe a little. Maybe the only. All right, I'm I'm making excuses for the show, but let's stop and say I don't know, and then I'm gonna give it the credit and say maybe Cersei sees her political uh, power dwindling, and she needs to leverage Littlefinger somehow. But yeah, I. This was we complained about the show not being being too heavy handed. This had no hand whatsoever. I mean, I just wish we knew what this what the deal was here, especially because now Roos knows. Yeah, as we learn later that he Roos knows what's coming going to Littlefinger. So if there's some kind of like uh, conspiracy or what, oh, she's throwing directions at him. But they don't think talk that about Roos, the contents of the letter at yes, all, do they? But if she if she's like communicating with Littlefinger about this conspiracy or whatever, you would think that uh, that Roos would be upset or at least have something to say about it. Instead, we're just kind of, everything's neutral, I guess, or nothing's like enough to say anything on screen about it. I, I don't really get it. Well, I think that Littlefinger is definitely keeping Cersei in the dark. So Cersei doesn't know anything about this Sansa Stark thing because she wants Star- Sansa yes. dead. She thinks no question Sansa, about that. She thinks Sansa, yeah. uh, with the help of Tyrion, murdered her son. Uh, wrong, but still. Uh, so she knows nothing about it. But I don't know. You're right. The show doesn't even hint at what she wants of Littlefinger. Just that yeah. she needs an urgent reply. And what's going on in Cersei's life right now? The only thing that's going on in Cersei's life, she's being pushed out by Marjorie and her son. So I don't know how Littlefinger would factor into that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's frustrating. So what's up next? Okay. Let's see. Littlefinger converses with Ramsay on the ramparts of Winterfell. Uh, they talk about Sansa and how Littlefinger knows very little about Ramsay, which he says is a rare thing. Uh, you know, Roos shows up and tells Ramsay to scram. Uh, Littlefinger and Roos discuss uh, Sansa's virginity and possible Lannister reprisals if they once they figure out what the fuck's going on. Littlefinger uh, minimizes these uh, concerns about the Lannisters. And Roos asks why the fuck Littlefinger would betray the Lannisters. He's become a very wealthy and powerful man because of their help. And he says he, uh, like Roos, took a gamble in betraying their benefactors, and the gamble has paid off. Um, And then he tries to say that, hey, the last time the Vale and the North teamed up, they kicked a lot of ass. And Ramsay's like, yeah, uh, I still don't trust you. And he's opening his letters. He opened the said letter that we talked about before from Cersei and read it. And Littlefinger's like, I got a reply. And Ramsay's like, I'm going to have to read that reply too. So you can tell this is an uneasy re- alliance. Once again, I'd still, I think, uh, knowing this is alliance is uneasy, I really wish I would have known or we would have known what the impact of this alliance is or what Littlefinger hopes to gain. I think it's more important now than ever. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think that, you still have to assume that the Lannisters have more power than the Boltons, other than the Boltons hold the North. But, I mean, it seems to me the North is probably the least um, strategically important area of the kingdom, other than maybe it's the largest. But I think it has the minimal amount of resources. And also, it also has to deal with the, the wildlings from the North. It also has to deal with the Iron Islanders. So it's like 
this is the shittiest sta- like area of the of the kingdom that to control. I think. Yeah, and at the very least, uh, I would think the Lannisters could take the Vale. I mean, they might not be able to take the Eyrie, but the Lannisters yeah. teamed up with the the Tyrells. And let's face it, like the the War of the Five Kings is over. The Lannisters slash Tom and Baratheon, quote unquote, have won the war. So you would think that all the other kingdoms would be on their side that they had to go to war again. So I don't yeah. think that the Vale and the North is enough to oppose those. And plus, yeah, you're right. Nobody wants the North. So yeah. they would just go and kick the Vale's ass. You know, they might not be able to get to, you know, what's his face in his tower, uh, idiot sit sucker. But still, they could wreck wreck shit, I imagine. I don't know. Yeah, I also have questions. It was it's odd to me that uh, Ramsey was promising that he would never hurt Sansa. I mean, it's one thing that he is going to hurt her later, which, God, that's just completely awful. awful. Yeah. But he also knows, he has to know that Littlefinger is a person of influence. So if he's outright lying to Littlefinger about his intentions, um, I mean, you he's also going to incur the wrath of being just the big piece of garbage, but also that he's lying about being a piece of garbage. You know what I mean? I just thought it was weird that he would take this position and then just be completely opposite of it. I mean, why not just say nothing, you know? Yeah. Why not just say, yeah, I guess. Anyway, uh, how about them wildling chicks, huh? <laughs> Jesus. I don't know. Make small talk. You know what I mean? Like, you're yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Why would he engage uh, Littlefinger in this conversation or, yeah, say why the exact opposite? Why would you make a opposite? promise that you know you're not going to keep? I mean, it's just Yeah, and when you know you're not going to keep it and it's going to come out that you didn't keep it, uh, you're just incriminating yeah. yourself. Right. All right, so next we go back to Tyrion and Varys, and Tyrion is uh, drunk and bored. They're apparently, the uh, the uh, wheelhouse, as they call it, is approaching Volantis. Tyrion has since, upon leaving the wheelhouse for his sanity, despite Varys' protest, Tyrion says he just wants to stop and uh, to stop the wheelhouse so he can go explore. We kind of see a really cool flyover of Volantis uh, that transitions into the Volantis market. Agreed. Tyrion, I'm sorry? Agreed. Yeah, it was Very a really cool. cool shot, I thought. Yeah. Tyrion and Varys uh, discuss uh, the Volantis slave trade and how each slave has specific markings to their uh, occupation. They stumble upon a red priestess who is preaching uh, the Lord of the Light stuff. Tyrion sits down to watch and remembers how the only priestess or priest, red priest that he knows of was Thoros of Mir. And uh, it's kind of curious here that uh, this is, there are several languages at play in the show in theory, but I think they're kind of discarding that just so that uh, to not make it difficult because there's high Valyrian, low Valyrian and the common tongue. Uh, anyways, the priestess says that the uh, Danny's is the savior, then spots Tyrion. And also the priestess, also of note, is the, I think, the first uh, East Asian person that we've seen in the entire show. The priestess stares at Tyrion ominously, which upsets Tyrion and says that they need to go find a brothel. And uh, we kind of see Tyrion and Varys making their way through more colorful backgrounds uh, of a market type area. Yeah, so I said it before with Bravos, but uh, and I did like that flyover shot of Volantis, uh, but I I still think that Essos isn't different enough from Westeros. I mean, you have slaves with tattoos, that's fine, but it just seemed like, hey, everybody's wearing like beige, dirty clothes, 
and it's a shitty crowded marketplace and a brothel. Uh, that's like everywhere else in the Seven Kingdoms. So I know they in in the book, Valantis is kind of like India, and it's hot. There's uh, elephants like being rick- pulling rickshaw type of carts behind them and stuff. Yeah. I understand you can't do all that, but you can at least in like you know and uh, you know I don't know change the architecture a little bit more or the color scheme uh, or something. It just doesn't seem like they're any place different. Um, Another thing I had is, what the fuck is up with this red priestess? This doesn't pay off at all. And and let's assume this is the same woman that comes back in season six. Remember that? Uh, I thought that strikingly beautiful woman that uh, has really dark hair and the like green or blue eyes that um, yeah. says Danny's she's going to help Danny in her PR campaign in season six. Uh, let's assume they're the same person, which I'm not convinced they are. But, I don't think they are. But yeah. that doesn't. This doesn't come to pass. Nothing happens here. This doesn't pay off with this interaction where the the woman inexplicably looks at Tyrion, like turns her head, like she didn't notice Tyrion with her sight. Uh, she noticed it with a sixth sense, and then her eyes followed, which is just a you know a stupid trope that we see a lot. Um, and is not. Uh, it would be intriguing if this paid off at all, and it just doesn't. No, it really doesn't. The whole uh, Danny and the the uh, red religion. I, I, none that of this never really makes sense. Yeah, no, they, it never they've makes already sense. left Marine. They're already on the boat. Yeah. So, is that red priestess with her? I don't know. Well, actually, wasn't uh, wasn't uh, Melly Mel on the boat with them on the back on the way back? No, no, because Melly Mel got uh, exiled from Winterfell, and she's making the long walk south. Okay, that's the last. Uh, you know, I miss remembering things. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so uh, I guess that's it. All right, so Varys and Tyrion uh, go to a brothel. I guess it's Tyrion's idea. Um, the bouncer up front says, "Good luck to rub a dwarf's head." Tyrion re- uh, retorts that it's even better luck to suck a dwarf's cock. Ha 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 ha! Inside, they see a prostitute dressed up like Daenerys. Uh, and Jorah is in there getting drunk, but, uh, he doesn't notice them. They don't notice him. Tyrion goes to, I guess, flirt with a prostitute because he doesn't have any money. Uh, he's trying to get laid up with an IOU. Uh, he finally succeeds by praising her quote unquote mind, um, it being cynical or whatever it works. And she's wants to do it. And Tyrion's inexplicably and surprising to him cannot go and sleep with this woman. So he excuses himself, and he goes out to pee off the bridge, and he gets captured by Jorah and taken captive. Oh, no. Yeah, this... I The whole, like... I, I mean, I guess it's uh, Tyrion running game on, on stupid girls. <laughs> you have a cynical mind. Uh, I mean, I didn't understand that whatsoever. It's pretty stupid. She's just she's just the the depressed girl. She's the Eeyore prostitute. Yeah, it's like I guess. no one wants to leave me. I can't imagine why. You're just yeah. down in the dumps. So sad. People won't sleep with me as a prostitute. Money, yeah. Uh, so the uh, the uh, Danny lookalike prostitute. This I think this is kind of an interesting story. Is that apparently the costume designer thought it'd be funny to make a joke um, that a prostitute in Volantis should be dressed like Danny, but she should have crotchless and pant- and uh, also buttless skirt. And so, like, it was originally circulated as a joke, but then actually D&D thought it was funny enough to include it in the show. And it is hilarious. 
But but to <laughs> eliminate the crotchless part of it because that was too far over the top. But the buttless part was just was fine. And you know what? I think I agree with them. I thought that was really funny. I don't know. I would appreciate it more if maybe the buttless part was burned, like it had been singed by dragons or something. I don't know. Uh, in the book, uh, Dora <laughs> is flirting. <laughs> Let's back up a second and say, okay, you weirdo. Okay, no, go ahead. she's just like, my dragons burnt my hiney. I don't know. I, I got a whole thing planned out. But yeah. anyway, in the book, uh, Jorah is creeping on the Daenerys lookalike, and she's not dressed as Daenerys. She's just a Valerian-looking girl who's like a teenager, uh, well underage or whatever. Um, gotcha. And he's creeping on her, and then he sees Tyrion and takes him. Um, uh, but I don't know. Uh, this whole thing seems very contrived. Like the whole journey with Varys, which only lasted two episodes or three episodes, I guess, uh, was just to get him here to get captured by Jorah. Um, it's just bad. Like we talked about this no, it before. All, it, it all does feel very contrived. I mean, the the, the idea that these people just happen to be in the same place at the same time, the same day, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it strains credulity, but I guess that's what the show is. So I don't know. Yeah. So another winner. And once again, I think, <laughs> uh, <Exactly. laughs> I think I would have went out on John killing Jana Slint if, uh, because it's clearly the best scene in this fucking episode. Like, uh, I, I don't understand how you go off on, Oh no, uh, Tyrion's taken by, uh, what's his face? And guess what? What's his face wants to go see the queen. He even says that. Isn't that where Tyrion yeah. was wanting to go anyway? So, yeah. so why does this matter? <laughs> he just has another traveling companion and this is how you're going to end the episode. Fuck you. Um, yeah. End it with John killing Janice Slint. Yeah. Uh, I'd prefer that. So, all right, here we come. Right, let's rate it and get the hell out of here. Yeah, all right. So let's rate it. I, I think this is definitely a snooze fest, but not the worst. Um, I had lots of problems, obviously. Uh, I say a one point five. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a bologna sandwich. Anything else on it? Just some mayonnaise. Uh, just some mustard. Ooh, mustard and bologna. Yuck. And that's it. Not Ooh. even cheese or man. No, just those two things. Gross. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to give it a bologna sandwich uh, with Cheetos smashed in there. Um, no, that'd be good. What the? Yeah, it's still not great. But that'd still be at least a 2.5. Uh, all right, Cheetos, fine. Yeah. Uh, let's say you put, um, ooh, I don't know, uh, sun chips in there. Anyway, sun moving chips are on. Good. No, they're not. <laughs> not with bologna. Trust me, I've tried it. Anyway, guys, thank you for your um, overwhelming support. <laughs> sun chips and bologna combo. Awful. Veggie sun chips. Listen, somebody None. had to go to the moon. Somebody had to be the first person to break the four-minute mile, and then somebody else had to make a, a bologna and sun, sun chips. Chip. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Oboises, but they haven't been around for a while. I don't even know what that is. You don't know what a Boise's are? Everybody go look it up. Hey, kids. <laughs> go look up a Boise's Crystal Pepsi and Bud Dry and have a great night. Anyway, uh, for Brian, this is Doug saying uh, thank you very much, and we will see you next Tuesday. Say bye. Bye.
Later, dudes. Stellar.